Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. How's it going, everybody? This is the Famous Dead People podcast, the only podcast that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. We originally air as a radio show on Radio for Brooklyn, so if you like the show, you can listen to episodes the day they come out every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. You're about to hear the episode where I interview American stand-up comedian and actor Rodney Dangerfield and early American polymath and founding father Benjamin Franklin. It was a fascinating talk. Uh, Don't forget to come out and uh, join us on March 25th at the Magnet Theater at 9 p.m. for the Fine 39. It's going to be an awesome show. There's going to be free beer there, so come check that out. Magnet Theater. March 25th, 9 p.m. Also email us at famousdeadpeople at readyforbrooklyn.org for anything that you might want to tell us about. Go buy my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now and it is hilarious. Rate and review the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Go see Junior Varsity every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Magnet Theater. And go to jarrettbranson.com for more information. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Benjamin Franklin and Rodney Dangerfield. Only on Famous Dead People. It's time. Time to start the show. Famous dead people. Oh, you know. Famous dead people. Stories stuck in the head. My guests today on Famous Dead People are 20th century American stand up comedian, one of the finest joke writers to have ever existed, Roddy Dangerfield. Hey, how are you today? All right. Good. Thanks for having me. Nice crowd. What a crowd. And early American polymath, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, Benjamin Franklin. With liberty and justice for you. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Thanks so much, Mr. Franklin, Mr. Dangerfield. Thank you so much for joining us here on Famous Dead People. Mm, of course. Oh, yeah, sure. You're all right. You know, you're all right. I appreciate that. I'd like to actually start off with you, Mr. Dangerfield, uh, because you are, for my money, one of the best one-liner comedians to have ever lived, but I was surprised to learn that you did not hit until later in life. Like, your career really didn't take off until you were a little bit older. Uh, and the big watershed moment for you was you were a replacement act on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1967. You were 46 years old. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now, before then, uh, you kidding me? I had a rough childhood. You know what I mean? A rough childhood. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's true. My mother, my mother, would, my mother didn't even breastfeed me. She told me she liked me as a friend. That's uh, that is, you know, an, a classic example of of you of the deftness. The economy of your one-liners, Mr. Dangerfield. I, I do want to ask you about your early life and everything like that, but I, but I uh, specifically right now I want to know about that night. You know, it's March fifth, nineteen sixty-seven. You were last-minute replacement. You know, how did you get the invite? What were you doing when you heard that you were going to be on Ed Sullivan? That night. Well, sure. You know, I've been doing a lot of gigs. You know, I've been going around the country doing a couple of gigs here and there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, old Eddie called me up. He said, "Hey." He really wants you to come on down and uh, do the show. That is uh, Benjamin Franklin. I don't know if you're aware. That is an on-point Ed Sullivan right there. That is a great impression right Yeah, there. many people don't know the uh, impressions I can do, but I'm very uh, impressionistic. But uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so they gave me a, they told me to come on down. They said, uh, we got a spot for you, and everybody else is dead, so uh, you're the last one up. I'm sorry, they didn't really say that everybody was dead, right? No, but uh, yeah. that's what they were implying when they said, you are definitely our last choice. Ah, I see, I see. So, so at that like, did you, have any, did you have to cancel anything, or or were you nervous? Like, did you realize that could be your big break? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't have much going on. You know what I mean? At that mm-hmm. point, I was uh, to me, but at that point, in my life, my food was exciting. You know what I mean? At that point, I had a mirror installed above my kitchen table. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, I don't know what you mean. You had a mirror installed above your kitchen table. Yeah, to me, food was exciting. Food you know? was exciting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm. Uh, yeah. I, it, the the issue that I'm having is I'm trying to parse whether or not that is a setup for a one liner. Like, am I going to ask you more about it? There's going to be a hilarious turn, or is, are you literally saying? That your food was the only thing that was exciting about your life at that time. Well, like it's just for me to know or for you to find out. But uh, I like <laughs> so where your head's at, though, over there. He's yeah, so anyway. coy, Mr. Dangerfield. <laughs> let's uh, let's move over to um, uh, to Benjamin Franklin for just a moment. So, mm. uh, Mr. Franklin, I know that you, uh, you know, you had some early success as a uh, as a printer it's early true. in your life. Um, but you didn't start any like your notable activities until you were older, right? Like a, as a politician, as a scientist? Mm-hmm. I was a man about town for many years, mm-hmm. printed this, sang at church, and knew the townspeople of Pennsylvania and Boston and mm-hmm. New England in general. Can you, would you, would you mind putting to rest, I know there's a, there's a debate sometimes between like, <gasps> what's the best, you know, East Coast city between Boston and Philadelphia? You were born in Boston, mm-hmm. but you left there to go to Philadelphia. Is it... As people in Philadelphia suggest, because you realize Boston was a shithole, and so you were like, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Or do you have love for your for your city that you were born in? I have to say, I agree with the people of Philadelphia. There you go. Boston is shithole. It is. It's a garbage city that's like liberal and weirdly racist at the same time. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Right in Asheville, you must have done gigs in Boston and Philadelphia. Like you, you obviously would have a preference for one of those two cities. Oh sure, yeah. I made them pay me double whenever I have to go up to Boston. You know what I mean? That's what I would do if I had the power. A hundred percent. Did they pay you in Benjamins? <laughs> I like where your head's at, Benny. You're all right. You're all right over there, Benny. Does that make you feel good that uh, that you have a connection to the rap community, Mr. Franklin? Because Ooh. you know rappers will constantly be referring to dropping Benjamins or throwing Benjamins and things like that. Let's just say whatever I can do to make the American economy a sterling example of fiscal freedom. Then yes. Oh wow! I, I love it that even now you still have that patriotic streak. You still have that patriotic bent to you. Precisely. Well, I'd like to ask you about. So you know, one of the things that you did before you became a politician and world mm-hmm. famous and a scientist, um, you you used to write this um, uh, this this book, uh, the uh, the Heralds. You know, um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the Richard's Almanac, Poor Richard's Almanac. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was a combination of like seasonal weather forecasts, practical household tips, puzzles, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's where you have like a lot of your famous bond mots, you know, like bon a, penny, a penny saved, a penny How earned. How is he? <laughs> Mr. Franklin, adorable. Uh, so your aphorisms. And I'm yes. wondering of if your aphorisms you had like real life uh, events that had inspired them. Like when you came up with a penny saved a penny earned, was that because like something happened to you in your life that made you realize that? It is from something that happened to me in my life. Okay. I was walking down the streets of Philadelphia, waving to the babies, waving to the church boys and waving to the women with their winded hair. And I said, I would like a coffee now. Mm. And I walked into the nearest cafe and I, said, no, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. I want it, but I don't need it. And I kept the dollar that I would have spent on the coffee that day. And I said, let me take out the most recent of poor Richard's almanac and put that aphorism in there because a penny saved is truly a penny end. So you decided not to get a cup of coffee. And that was made you realize that saving money was a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because okay. if you don't spend it, 
you still have it. Well, I tell you, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know what I'm saying? I grew up real poor. You know what I mean? I grew up real poor. Oh, yeah? How poor? The only, uh, well, I'm glad oh, you asked that. Thank Richard you, Franklin. Franks. I swear to God, if you say that for everything that he says, he's he's going to have something. He's going to have something for the afterwards. Well, I'm truly curious to hear what. He's just, you're walking into a trap is basically what I'm saying. But please continue, Mr. Dangerfield. Anyway, as I was saying, yeah, we were so poor. The only toys they ever gave me to play with the bathtub were a toaster. Oh boy! Because you sounds... wouldn't want to play with a with a toaster in the bathtub, because oh, because electricity, because electricity, which obviously you have a big history with. You're welcome mm. on the segue. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Um, can I ask you about some of the other aphorisms and see if there were similar stories Please. behind those? Aphorism away. Okay, so there's um, he that drinks his cider alone, let him catch his horse alone. Well, was there a story behind that one as pretty well? Pretty self-explanatory. Okay, if you. Drink the cider, but there's no horse in the room. You'll be alone drinking cider. That's not what I thought that meant. I thought that that meant that if you if you don't hang out with your friends and drink with your friends, no. then when your horse gets away, you can look for him by yourself, too. That's not what it means. You no? know, it's so funny. I went to the racetrack the other day. I went to the racetrack, but I got no luck at the racetrack. Oh, you know yeah? What I mean? don't How ask little him. luck don't did ask... you have? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I went to the, I went to the racetrack, and, and the gun went off. He shot my horse. Oh, Goodness. See, you wouldn't want that to well, happen. Well, we used to short, shoot horses in boys' school in Boston. Wait, in boys' school, you yes. used to shoot horses? Yes. What do you mean by that? time. Well, they give every young boy a musket, mm-hmm. and they put the horses in a row, and they ask the young boys, they say, test out the musket, and <laughs> then we would just cry and cry, and it toughened us up, and it prepared us for the revolution! I'm sorry, so they would say, test out the rifle, mm-hmm. and all the kids would say... But I don't want to test it out, at, point it at this horse, mm-hmm. because then the horse would die. And so all the kids are crying, but they're just saying, it yeah, no, the... no, just test them. Just test out the muskets. Yes, the men would turn the boys into men. Oh, yeah. I was a tough kid, too. You know, I was a tough kid. How tough? Don't ask him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was a tough kid, I tell you. I just wish One that... time I got separated from my parents <laughs> at the beach. I asked the cops, do you ever think we'll find them? He said, I don't know. There's so many places to hide. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Because there's a lot of places to hide at the beach. Mr. Danger, and he's just saying that his parents were hi- specifically hiding from him. It wasn't that he was lost. Mr. Dangerfield, I really wish that instead of just like setting up these one-liners, you just tell us. Just tell us. You know, you don't need this little this little cat and mouse game of like tempting us with it. If you have a dope one-liner, then just say it. It's more fun with the setup, though. You know what I mean? It's more fun with you the setup. You can't go wrong with the little uh, entendre, if I you know suppose, what I suppose. Mean. I mean, I can understand, like, if you're, you know, like like some people, when they're, like, seducing someone, it's more fun if there's a little resistance, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably what you're going for with this, um, you know, this sort of, like, you know, get them to ask you, you know, about it, and then, you, then you'll give them the rest of the joke. Would you, would you say that there, there's a similar relationship to it? It's more fun. It's more sporting. To get them to to ask you the follow up question, of course. Yeah. It's like when you go fishing; you don't just grab a fish. You got to drop something, in and they get the fish to come to you. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be as fun if the fish just like like jumped into your right. boat. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you you're picking up and putting down here. Yeah, you must have done a lot of uh, fishing when you were uh, uh, in your life, Benjamin Franklin, right? Yes. Well, when I was in Upper Boys School, mm-hmm. they would put us on a raft and push us out into Lake Boston. This- <laughs> and they would give us each a musket, mm-hmm. and they would say, "If you don't come back with a fish, you, no dinner tonight." Oh my God! And it turned the upper boys into upper men. This boys' school sounds really sinister. This sounds really terrible. All schools in that period of time were quite sinister. Hmm, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I it fits with the time period. Like we didn't have the standards for like you know uh, taking care of children and realizing like you know how 
precious and sensitive they can be. Did you mm-hmm. have uh, any issues with the schools that you were growing up in, Mr. Dangerfield? Oh, sure, sure. You can, my teachers always give me a rough time. They give me a rough time. You know what I mean? But Benjamin Franklin. It <laughs> <laughs> gave me a rough time, I'll tell you. I once asked my teacher, how does she think I'm doing? She says, you're ugly. I said, can I get a second opinion? She said, yeah, you're fat too. <laughs> it's a rough classic. school, I'll tell you. It's a rough school. That is classic. What a pithy teacher. How rough. How rough was the school that you were going to, Mr. Dangerfield? Oh, it was so rough. Uh, you know, for lunchtime, they would give us finger bowls. There were real fingers in them. <laughs> finger bowls? We had those during the revolution. Would you tell us? Um, I mean, we don't need to just hear one-liners this entire time. Like, you just tell us some facts about your school. Like, I know that it was difficult growing up because your dad was away. He was a volatile performer, right? Oh, yeah. My dad, yeah, my father, a big performer, a big performer. That's did, where you I got see, from. did you ever see his act, like what he was doing? I got to see it a couple of times, but my mom didn't really let me out of the house a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you can understand, understand that. that. Yeah, you understand that. She didn't really like me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that must have been difficult for you. Oh, it's very hard. You kidding me? It's very hard <laughs> going in the house where your mother doesn't like you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, I my parents it. thought I was ugly. You know what I'm saying? Instead of carrying a picture around to me, they carried a picture of the kid that came with the wallet. They just kept the, uh, the, the what do you call it, the stock photo in the wallet. Yeah. That sounds really difficult. Oh, it was a tough time. Tough time yeah. out in Deer Park, Long that, Island. Do you think that affected you, the fact that your dad was only around like twice a year? Do you really do you think that that maybe um uh like 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 caused you to seek the validation of uh faceless audiences because your dad wasn't there to give it to you? Oh yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell by the my act. I don't really care if you're laughing or not. I'm just going to keep telling the jokes. <laughs> I'm not waiting for you. <laughs> Yeah, he is no, quite jovial. He really is. You know, for as tragic of a life that he had, uh, it really is surprising. Um, but you grew up in Long Island. That's right. Deer Mr. Park, Long Island. Yes, yes, Deer yes. Deer Park, Long Island. Um, so, yeah. So, um, you know, did you, did you, we discuss exactly what kind of vaudeville act your dad had? Like, did he tell jokes? Was he sort of like a slapstick uh, comedian? Uh, uh, was he a song and dance man? Yeah, he was a song and dance man. He used to carry a guitar around. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he got into all the acts. One time I tried to get into a freak show. They let me in for free. Because <laughs> they oh thought you were one of the one of the performers. Yeah, I didn't get no respect back then either, <laughs> let me tell you. I didn't get no respect. Oh, boy. I once carried a snake on my shoulders through New England. A snake on your shoulder through New England. I said, don't tread on he. And I pointed to Rodney. Mm-hmm. You pointed to, to, to Rodney, your snake. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, I understand that this was like one of the campaigns that you had uh when you were a printer you mm. you would you would publish your political opinions and one of them was that you thought that america should be united yes. there's that famous drawing that you published of a snake that mm. had been cut into different segments mm. and you were saying unite or die you know yes and so this walk through new england i'm mm-hmm. assuming i'm guessing was just sort of like a, a guerrilla marketing campaign, basically, for that slogan. Precisely. I couldn't have put it better myself. Wonderful. <laughs> I was just trying to say that I've also had a few freak shows myself. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, I know that uh, uh, the time period that you grew up in, you know, more rustic, you know, there's not going to be uh, the the sensitivity that we know of now. You know, mm-hmm. like if you see, you know, a bearded woman, you're going to point and you're going to laugh. You know, say what? Hey, 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 it's easy about my ex-wife. All right. She was all right. She was all right. (laughs) For everyone. (laughs) He is quite jocular. If you're uh, just joining us on Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, my guests today are 18th century polymath and founding father Benjamin Franklin. Oh, uh, uh, bonds and stocks. (laughs) And um, (laughs) really interesting thing for you to say. And 20th century stand-up comedian Roddy Dangerfield. Oh, I'll tell you, it's all right now, but let's because I'm rough shape, you know? Uh, right. Uh, so, Mr. Franklin, um, I, you're one of the most impressive people 
I think, to have ever uh, lived. Author, printer, political theorist, scientist, mm-hmm. inventor, humorist. Um, but what, what I find interesting about your legacy is that when people think about you, their first thought is the kite with mm-hmm. the key on it yes, to yes. attract lightning. And of all the things you accomplished, it seems so insignificant, don't you think? Yes, it's probably the most insignificant thing I've ever done. Yeah, what would you, of all the things that you did... You know, what would you wish that people would think of, like, as the first thing when, when they think of Benjamin Franklin? Hmm. I hope that they remember that I lived until I was 82 by drinking nothing but goat's milk and raw ca- and eating raw cabbage. <laughs> goat's milk and raw cabbage. Mm-hmm. That's what you want people to know about you. The gentleman's it? diet. A yes. long life because all you drank was goat's milk and raw cabbage. Well, at least in my eight later years, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, interesting. Well, I, I was always very impressed by your longevity, you Thank know. You. And you had a, I read this in one of your biographies, that um, you, when you were in uh, London early mm. in your life, mm. that you would just drink out of the Thames, and yes. that would have killed anybody else. But you just had a strong constitution. It gave me an intestinal fortitude <laughs> that led me to the revolution. <laughs> really, you think that uh, that the, just the strength that you got from drinking weird, gross bacteria out of the Thames is what powered you through to American independence? Mm-hmm. Kidneys of steel. Interesting. A, a, a pancreas of wool. A stomach <laughs> of ironclad virtue led us to resist. Uh, resist British rule. Interesting. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, sure. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Because you're a tough stomach. You gotta, you gotta be a tough kid. How tough? I wasn't, I wasn't a tough kid myself, though. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah? I was ugly. I was ugly back then, I How tell you. ugly? Well, you know, I, I looked at my dog, and he realized he looked like me, and he killed himself. Oh, no. The dog a had a musket. <laughs> there are other ways. There are other ways for dogs to kill themselves. Let me ask you this, Rodney. So you began writing jokes when you were 15 years old. Yep. Uh, according to the Wikipedia, you were performing at a resort in Ellenville, New York. But that's when you began writing jokes. So what was your um, what was your gig at that resort if you weren't doing comedy at the time? I cleaned the toilets. Wait, so that was the gig that they're talking about? Is you just cleaning toilets? I mean, you know, they call it a gig to spruce it up for the interwebs oh, nowadays. But gotcha. uh, let's let it let it not be known that I was at the bottom of the barrel. All so right? would you tell people that you got a gig at this resort, but you were just basically doing janitorial work? I mean, I told them I got a new job. You know what I mean? Oh, gotcha. I mean, yeah, I'm doing a little work. I'm, I'm gigging. That's pretty savvy. They say you should fake it until you make it in this in entertainment. Oh, that's all I could do is fake it. Yeah. That's well- what my wife told me also. <laughs> That saying is one of my aphorisms. Really? Gotta fake it till you make it? You must fake it until the cider horse makes it. (laughs) A lot of these I didn't realize had so much to do with that horse and the cider. Can I ask you about another one of your aphorisms and see if there's a a story behind it? Most definitely. Women are books and men the readers be. Which I'm really not sure what that means exactly but but i'd love to 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 hear what the what the story behind i can it tell is. you what it means right now I'll oh, tell you what, i'm gonna jump in for you here, benny franks all right benny franks here we go this is what Ooh. you meant when you said that all right because one time this girl told me to come over there was nobody home i went over there was nobody home hey is this thing on what's going on over here <laughs> no, it's a great joke i just was it is a great i just wasn't joke. sure how it related to the saying uh women are books and men the readers be i'm saying the women are tough to get to know you know what i mean my whole life women have been no, no respect over here no respect from women at all what do you mean by that is there do you think of an example oh yeah sure there was one time this woman told me to come over and bring a bottle but i don't really know women so i brought windex oh you see. oh wait hang on a second i messed up my own joke this woman told me to come over she's got mirrors all over the bedroom and bring a bottle i brought windex you see how it worked the best time 
<laughs> that no, works a little do. bit better. That I get it that better. time. That's what I'm talking about. Women are complicated. They're a unique species. Is that what you're saying? Is that what, what you mean by that aphorism, women are books and men the readers be? Yes. it's Women are about as complicated as um, a journey through uh, Canada. You're not <laughs> sure where you are, but you know that you're there. Canada, the, the famously the most complicated place. Uh, in North America at the time that you were alive. Mm-hmm. Canada's like a loft apartment over a really good party. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's actually, that's, I like that, Mr. Dangerfield. That's pretty savvy. Um, all right. So you were cleaning toilets at this resort oh, yeah. in Ellenville, New York. You were, you were cleaning toilets. You're telling everybody that you have a gig just to, you know, build up your, uh, your, your momentum, you know, give people the impression that you're more successful than you actually are. Was there any point where you tried to get on stage at that resort when you were 15 years old. You're writing jokes for the first time. You're giving them to other comedians. You're selling them to other comedians to use. Did you ever try to step foot on stage at that point in your life? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's a funny story. You know, I was cleaning the toilets behind the stage. I had to do the green rooms as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wound up coming out. I finished the green room a little bit early. There was a show going on, and I didn't realize it. So I walked out on stage, and I bumped into the guy, and I knocked it over, and I picked up the microphone and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm so dumb, you know? <laughs> and then I started making fun of myself a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, I got some laughter. It worked out right, right for me." I mean, oh, what? So you accidentally walked on stage and were able to get laughs just by just by being yourself? Yeah, I just I just hit him with a couple of jokes, made fun of myself, and realized, "Hey, I am a piece of shit. I would laugh at me too." You realize that you have a <laughs> nugget there that you can exploit and then maybe use later on in your career. Yep. Interesting. Ooh, was it a gold um, nugget from Mesopotamia? I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> What an interesting question. What should we ask that, Mr. Franklin? Well, we used to collect those at my boys' school, and mm. we passed them around at the, in the courtyard. What, like little gold pieces from Mesopotamia? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. I had no idea that that was such a uh, a common item that schoolboys could just trade them, you know, willy-nilly. Yes, we treated them like how you say pogs, how people treat use pogs. It was like a trading card, but it was gold from the east okay interesting like like the way that we would use pogs these days mm-hmm. yeah yeah of course you're familiar with pogs right mr dangerfield oh sure you kidding me every night i get on stage it's a slammer <laughs> i uh, get it let me ask you about one more aphorism mr franklin uh and if there is a story behind this one i'd love to hear it uh three there's a, may... st- there's a story behind all of them three may keep a secret if two of them are dead <laughs> let's just say when I was a younger man, I used to get around, mm-hmm. and I would sometimes, well, how do you say, catch up the day's disease, and, uh... <laughs> See, I'm sorry, you, you were referring to, like, an STD. Yes. You know, you would, you would uh, philander, you would uh, hook up with randos, what we would say these days. Yes, it's a commonly known fact about me in my younger days, mm-hmm. and, uh... Sounds like something my wife does a lot. <laughs> oh. Well, let's just say when you're lascivious... Lascivious becomes lascivious. Oh, I might workshop that one a little bit. I, you know, that, that could use an edit, I think. So you're saying three may keep a secret, two of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the story behind that? You're you're going around town, you're you're picking up uh, crabs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, it means if you catch chlamydia, the other two people have to die in order for the whole town to not know you gave it to them. Oh, gotcha. So if you and another person have the same STD then everyone's going to know because these people can't keep a secret. Yes, let's just say I've dropped a few bodies off in the Boston Harbor. Oh, so you would actually kill people to keep the secret of which STDs you had had. Precisely. Interesting. Okay. I mean, that's a... 
that's, that's quite a revelation, Mr. Yes. Franklin. Do you have any any regret that you have this in your past, that you would just murder people to keep these secrets? I think my reputation's intact. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that reminds me a lot of what you're saying over there, the past around STDs, you know what I mean? You got to keep your mouth shut around here. I tell you what, my, 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 my ex-wife didn't give me any respect. Oh, yeah? How little respect did she give you? I'll tell you what, one day I came home early. I saw a guy running down the block naked. I asked, where are you running from? He said, because you came home early. Oh, my goodness. She that was is, being lascivious She and was lewd. being lascivious, stepping out from behind your back, Rodney Dangerfield. That's right. That's right. I told her I want to be involved in a life. I said, I want to be alive. I want to be involved in our children's life. She's like, why? You weren't involved in the uh, in, when I got pregnant. In making them. In making oh the kids. Oh, my goodness. You're a machine, Mr. Dangerfield. I'm always very impressed by your comedic brain. But let me ask you this. So you struggled for many years. You eventually changed your name. Uh, your name. Your birth name is Jack Jacob Cohen. You changed your name to Jack Roy. And is that is that to, to uh, hide the fact that you were Jewish? Like, did you feel like it would be easier to get entertainment if you if you could hide that fact from people? Are you kidding me? The Jews run everything. Mm-hmm. Well, they do. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It was not hide anything. Are you kidding me? If I wanted to be successful, I should have stayed Jewish. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, and I mean, I could be wrong about this. I'm, I'm, I've got a, a, a Jewish last name, but I know that a lot of successful entertainers will change their name to sound less Jewish because they feel like it will be, it will be easier to sell them to a mixed audience of people if they don't sound Jewish. Did you experience any of that when you were... Uh, 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 you know, a rising star in the entertainment world. I mean, you know, I respect. I, you know, I received uh, disrespect from every angle, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't necessarily know if it was the name or anything. But uh, you know, I'd really chose it because Jack Roy's got a nice flavor to it. You know what I'm saying? You can't the, you can't say Jack Roy and not be excited about it. Jack Roy, so something exciting about sounds it. Sounds like a cowboy. Sounds yeah. like an actor. Sounds star. like yeah, a, it sounds rugged, right? Yeah. Sounds like food at a rest stop. Jack Roy? Yes. Oh, let's get a burger at Jack Roy. Oh, yeah, like a, like a Ruby Tuesdays or a place like yeah, that. Yeah, or a Roy Rogers. Interesting. Yeah. So did you find that, because I know that you would eventually change your name from Jack Roy to Rodney Dangerfield, obviously, but did you feel like maybe Jack Roy was holding you back because people didn't think it sounded like a comedian's name? Yeah, I feel like it just wasn't working out for me. You know what I mean? I wasn't. I wasn't just wasn't. I wasn't getting the traction I was hoping to get. Mm, yeah. So, uh, so I had to move a different direction. So I came with Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Well, what was some of your material like? Because I know that Rodney Dangerfield was like the first time that you started the the self deprecation that you were doing on stage. Uh, did you have a different uh, on stage persona for Jack Roy as a comedian? Yeah, when I was doing Jack Roy, it was mainly cat impersonations. Doing cat impersonations as Jack yeah, Roy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a lot of cat, you know, a lot of cat jokes. Okay. It was a really niche uh, niche market. Could you give us an example of a, one of the cat jokes that you did when you were Jack Roy on stage? I could. I could give you I could give you an example if I wanted, but uh, I wouldn't want to milk it, you know what I mean? Oh, oh. I walked into that one. I walked right into that. crossed the feline there with is that one. Benjamin Franklin. Look at Benny Franks over here with a one-line. It's all right. You're all right, Benny Franks. You're all right. You're, you're okay. You I think, are all right as well. I think we should end this right meow. Oh. I oh, see what you did there, pal. You're very you know, smart. You're very smart. Uh, you know, this yeah. isn't my first rodeo. You're much here. smarter than my son, I'll tell you that. Oh, really? Was your son uh, not an intelligent person? Oh, are you kidding me? My son wasn't a bright guy at all. Shit. I think I, think I just walked right into His another one of His son was a brick? Well, congratulations. Congratulate him on helping build America. Because of uh, being a brick. He was a brick, and (laughs) bricks are the foundation of this great democratic republic. They certainly are. Um, Let me ask you, uh, Mr. Franklin, we're going to have to take a break very shortly, but um, 
I wanted to ask you, you developed the lightning rod. That was one of your early inventions. Precisely. Um, and I wrote, I, I wrote this down because I thought it was really cute that you said that one of the reasons why we need lightning rods is to protect homes from being struck by lightning. But you didn't say homes from being struck by lightning. You said the lightning rod, the lightning hits the rod and, quote, thereby secure us from that most sudden and terrible mischief, which I thought was a really sort of like adorable way to describe Lightning hitting a house, uh, sudden and terrible mischief. Mm, you think a home suddenly bursting into flames is cute? No, I think that that's a cute way of describing it. Like lightning hits a house. Like I don't think that that's like mischievous. I think that that's like you know, and uh, uh, it's a tragic occurrence. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and it must de- be described as appropriately as possible. Mm-hmm. A most sudden and mischievous act of his truly, <laughs> but. If we can act in resistance to God, then maybe man gets closer to him himself. Wow, that is a very dense uh, sentiment there, Mr. Franklin. Is that something you've been working on for a while? Precisely. I put it in Richard, Rich Richard's Almanac, my Rich new Richards. series. Oh, is that something that you're doing now that you're back? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. We sh- we sh- everybody should all go check out Rich, uh, Rich Richard's Almanac. Um, unfortunately, we have to take a, a short break, but we will be right back. Uh, on Famous Dead People with my guests Rodney Dangerfield and Benjamin Franklin. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars. Leave a comment. Tell your friends. All that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us. Whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also, check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out JarrettBaronson.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are early American polymath and one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, Benjamin Franklin. A man who wakes up at three is a man indeed. <laughs> And 20, I don't know what that means. A 20th century American stand-up comedian, one of the finest joke writers to have ever existed, Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, how are you? You're all right. You're all right. Boy, I tell you, I'm excited to be here. Real excited to be here. Uh, so before the break, Mr. Dangerfield, we were talking about how you changed your name from Jacob Cohen to Jack Roy. Uh, and Jack Roy was doing plenty of uh, cat jokes. And then eventually you would get to Rodney Dangerfield, who was, you know, the self-deprecating uh, persona that we know and love today. Um, but were there other personas that you had tried in between uh, Jack Roy and Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah, once I did an act for a while on a unicycle. You, you know did an I mean? act on a unicycle? Yeah, it was me on a unicycle trying to tell jokes. It didn't work out too well. Okay. Was Got it- more bruises on my knee than a girl that I saw on 34th Street. 2 a.m. the other day. You uh, know what a I mean? prostitute is what you're saying, because she would suck dick a lot. A woman of the night. A woman of the night. A, a, a most eccentric dame. A, a woman, a book for which men like to read yes. quite a bit, remember? A most dusty tome. <laughs> 
well-worn pages. Kind of like Dick's Almanac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, oh, old Dick's Almanac. You give this humorist a run for his money. Okay, so there was the unicyclist, there was the cat joke guy. Oh, Anything yeah, sure, else? sure, sure. Yeah, I did a, a little stint as a, a, a Johnny Unitas impressionist as well. Johnny Unitas impressionist. Yeah, yeah, phen- phenomenal football player, Johnny yeah. Unitas. So what would the impression consist of? Uh, it was just me looking very sternly at the audience for five minutes. Okay, how did this do? Poorly. Why do you think I didn't do it anymore? What's the matter with you, huh? Look at this guy. There's going to be no respect this guy over here. No, no respect, respect at all. How little respect. Thank you, Benjamin Franklin. Finally, somebody who understands I think me. I'm giving you a good amount of respect. I got to be frank here. I think, you know, I, I revere you. Oh, feel free to pat yourself on the back some more. I'm glad it makes you feel good. I'm just saying that I, I revere you. I, I find you to be hilarious. You're a great comedian. I think that I'm giving you a lot of respect. Oh, sure. I'm sure you do. Yeah, Thank and you. You know what I think? I think also... That you got a lot of respect in your life. You know, you, you were you were uh, 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 an entertainer. You were a household name. I think you got a lot of respect in your life. And I think that you should admit that you got a lot of respect in your life, Mr. Dangerfield. Are you just putting me on the block right now? What's the matter with you, huh? Yeah, this is a gotcha interview. Sorry, this, but we've just entered the gotcha zone. It's not something that I usually do, but I feel like... Wow. I feel like I have to call a spade a spade. You told me you got no respect? You told me I got respect? I said you did I didn't get no respect at all when I I was younger. I think you got respect. (laughs) No, I'll tell you what. No, that's not true at all. Yep, all right. I, I'm tell, nope, I'm saying, I'm, I understand what you're going here. Nobody's trying to do over there, but believe me, you didn't live my life. You know what I mean? You didn't no, live no, my no. life. A most true. mischievous journalist. <laughs> uh, yeah, that has a darker meaning than we than I, I originally thought. Uh, let's go back to uh, Benjamin Franklin for just a moment. So, um, in 1730... Uh, it was discovered that you had an illegitimate son named William. Uh, and I hope that this is, because since we're doing gotcha, gotcha style, oh you know, my goodness, I thought this I would, is turning into Charlie Rose. I thought I might uh, surprise you, you know, and uh, and see, you know, a little, uh, little, little Maury style. Mm. Let's get into it. Let's get into the, your illegitimate son, William. Her mother, his mother was never identified. Never identified. Never identified. Benjamin Franklin, would you be willing to tell us here on Famous Dead People who your illegitimate son William's mother was and what became of her. Well, first of all, you can't prove it. I can't prove. I He may have come out as my illegitimate son, mm-hmm. but how do you know? How, how do you know? Mm, yeah, that's true. You really don't know for sure without some sort of paternity test. Right, and they didn't who have Who somebody's then. father is. Right. Because the woman could sleep with. You know, whoever. Right, she could have been a quite a dusty tome. She could have been a dusty tome, indeed. So, but but you claimed that William was your illegitimate son. You you yes. admitted to this in uh, 1730. Dang it! Yeah, I, was this I not outed myself? <laughs> uh, well, let's just say, one time I was carousing the back streets of Boston on mm-hmm. a trip back to my alma mater. Gotcha. Okay. And I met a woman by the name of Daffodil Jones. Daffodil Jones. And this is William's mother. This is William's mother. Mm, She was brushing herself with flowers, and she had a flower in one hand and a steel and rod in the other. And she started reading me my own writing. 
Hmm. And I was so entranced with the old, my own words that I made love to her right there and then. Oh, my God. Just that on the streets? I committed adultery on the streets of Boston. Oh, my God. So she, do you know whatever, whatever happened to her after? She, she had my illegitimate son. She had your illegitimate Okay, but then what happened what, after that? Why didn't you marry this woman and then raise the child with her? I was married. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. To Iphigenia Franklin. So she, <laughs> Iphigenia. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful name. I would have fallen in love with her, too. Um, but so that, yeah, did you ever, uh, uh, you know, keep tabs on her, you know, see, see that she was okay, that she was well kept? I wrote once a year mm -hmm. and I would send some money. Okay. I would send her some Franklin's and I would, uh, every once in a while I would meet up with William and we would have a long conversation where little substance was said Okay, and we sort of just looked off and felt obligated to do it and... I would give him some money, too, and he would say, he would try to get to how, you know, I had been a terrible father, and I would stop it right there, and I would say, you have no idea what's on my plate. And then I would go back to the uh, meetings in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia for the founding of the country. Yes. I mean, I think it's a sacrifice that the world appreciates, at least America <laughs> appreciates. You know, you're, you're not spending time with your illegitimate son because you're building what would become the United States of America. Right. I heavily consulted on the Constitution. Yeah, of course. And, you know, this is a sacrifice. I'm sure that you, you felt probably, Mr. Dangerfield, that your father was making a similar sacrifice. You know, he's not spending time with me, but he's entertaining audiences across the country. Sure, yeah. My father was a good... Yeah, exactly. He wasn't around a lot, but... Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I respected his art form, you know? I understand that, that later on in his life, he asked you to forgive him for not being there for you and, and for traveling so much. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he asked me. Yeah. That's you, where that ended. Yeah. So he, so he just asked you for forgiveness and you, what was your response? I walked away. I had a gig that night. Oh, wow. Was it because you had a gig or was it like a, like a fuck you dad kind of walk away? Well, you know, I like to process this stuff. You're really making me process a lot of things on this here talk. I didn't realize we were doing that. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? I just thought I'd talk about my exes. But... We, we really get into it on Famous Debut. But... Yeah, no, clearly, clearly. You probably feel very good about yourself. Well, I mean, like, I, I think I'm a pretty good interviewer, you know, so I think I'm doing an okay job. Yeah, sure. You're fine. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Anyway, listen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, my dad, uh, my old man, my old man came up to me, said, he said, son, I'm sorry I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I heard my wife yell, yeah, he hasn't been here for me either. And uh, so we all had a good laugh about it. Mm -hmm. And I think everything was forgiven. No, my, you know, my old man's a good man, you know. That's May he nice. rest in peace. I'm glad that things sort of like wrapped up into a happy ending there. Yeah, sure. He really tied it up on a bow. It's a complete note of shit for the rest of my life. But hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> At least he got to die happy, you know what I mean? Well, well, let me ask you this. So you were instrumental in developing Jim Carrey's career, right? Oh, sure. Jim Carrey, very funny man. Very yeah, yeah funny extremely man. funny. Uh, Mr. Franklin, you're familiar with Jim Carrey. Mr. James Carrey yes. from The Mask. From The Mask, from uh, In Living Color. Yes, you know? man. He was a gifted stand-up comedian. He did the uh, uh, Andy Kaufman biopic, uh, Man in the Moon. Mm, yes. You know? And he also coined the catchphrase, Somebody Stop Me. Did he coin the catchphrase? Somebody stop me. I thought he had better phrases than that. He had a lot of phrases. All like a glove. Then? All right. <laughs> he did do all righty then. You know, like uh, a glove. Like a glove. That was from uh, Ace Ventura series. Yes. You know, yeah, he had a lot of good uh, catchphrases. That guy. But anyway, so you started his career basically because you were inviting him to go on tour with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came up to me one time, Jim Carrey. I mean, Jim Carrey came up to me one time. I was in a club. After right that, after I did, I said nobody laughed. You know, nobody ever laughs. 
Oh, God. Nobody ever laughs. How little do they laugh? Nobody ever laughs. Hey, listen, Benjamin. You watch your mouth. <laughs> Did Nobody I back ever... you into a comedic corner? Well, I, yeah, we thought that you had something for that, uh, Mr. Dangerfield. That's why, that's why he asked. Oh, well, that's very nice of both of you. I'm so glad you have such a good time here uh, at my how, expense. How nice was it of us? How nice? Well, it was so yeah. nice of you. I tell you what, I'd rather... It was so nice of you. It's like free mozzarella sticks. Dangerfield, it's not. It's okay to not have anything. It's okay to to, ah, to let. I'm the, not waiting for you. I'm it's laughing. like free mozzarella sticks. Dot, like dot, dot. Free mozzarella sticks. Listen, all right. Do you want to talk about my son? Do you want to talk about my father? Do you want to talk about my jokes? You want to talk about Jimmy Carey? We'll talk about Jimmy Carey. Yeah, let's talk about Jim Carey. Yeah, let's let's talk about James Carey. Yeah, he's, he's a, a phenomenal impression. He's, he's a young comedian. You see him on stage. You know, do you remember like what he was doing that made you think like this this kid's going somewhere? I should have him open for me. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was that Andy Kaufman impression? It was very very good. He was Andy doing Kaufman. an Andy Kaufman impression. He was there. Oh yeah, he bought that out. And then he also he just did. He was a very physical comedian. You know what I'm saying? He was all over the stage, and mm. I thought it was a good pairing for me because I you know it's. Just me in a microphone, you know what I'm saying? I gotta I fix my tie every once in a while, but that's uh, you know, it's just me. I don't move around. Jimmy you, Carey's all over the place. You thought it would be good to have like a contrasting energy on there, so that when you came on, it would be like a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, my wife thought he was cute, so you know. Hmm? Uh, yeah, it's of course. Nice to share. It is nice to. I well, that, Mr. that's Frank what my wife <laughs> likes to say. I'll <laughs> tell you just that. Say Iphigenia. Mm -hmm. I let we had a bit of an open arrangement. Really? That's very progressive for, yes. uh, you know, 1770s. Mm -hmm. Well, I understand that you were a bit of a man about town, like, even when you were married, mm -hmm. you know? I'm sorry, did you not want to talk about this, Mr. No, Franklin? I was just clearing the devil's snot from my throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If, if you don't want to talk about your many affairs... Um, so you were obviously one of the patriots of the Revolutionary War. We've, we've talked about this Indeed. already. Indeed! So... <laughs> But for a long time, you were working to, to repair the relationship between America and England. Quite that precisely. Was, were, I tried to make it work. You really did. And uh, you even took a, a bunch of trips to England to work as a diplomat and try to try to make sure that the, the, the colonies got along with their, uh, with their mother England. But on one trip, you decided that independence was the way to go. You decided to ditch repairing the relationship and say the revolution is what we needed. What happened exactly that made you switch from repair to revolution. Well, I was sitting with the king, and he had coffee in his hand. I'm sorry, you were with the king of England? Yes. King George, was it? I had his most noble attention. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. Yes, I sat there with my cane and my devil's snot, and I I saw his hand had a glass. It was actually a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And I said, how much would it cost to import that into America? Okay. And he said, 30 pounds per pound. And I said, a penny saved is a penny earned. And I stormed out and I got on a boat back to America, which back then could kill you. Yo, it would take yeah. three months. <laughs> and if there wasn't oranges on the boat, you would get scurvy, let me tell you. I know. I uh, We understand. I think one of the things that everybody understands now is how dangerous traveling large distances, especially over mm -hmm. the ocean, was yeah. at the time. A whale could... Mess up your boat. A um, whale could mess up your boat or, you know, stormy seas. Stormy seas, mutiny, not so much. getting lost. Mutiny, yes. Sometimes there were pirates. Can we go back, though, just because it sounds like there wasn't an offense there. Like, the king was drinking his coffee. He said it would cost 30 pounds per pound to import this to America. That's an incredibly high tariff. Oh, that's too high. 30 pounds oh. per pound times 100 pounds is 3,000 
pounds? I don't know. I'm bad at math, even <laughs> though I'm a big. polymath. Yeah. Uh, but it, look, look, that tariff is extreme. Mm-hmm. To bring it over to a place that is native to your lands, supposedly, mm-hmm. charging an intercontinental, I mean, an intercountry tariff, don't tread on me. It is an intercontinental also because you're bringing it from one continent yes, to another. Yes, yes, obviously. But, but if we're truly your colony, give us a break, guy. Give us a fucking break. If we're cousins, now we're talking. You got to treat us with respect. respect. You got to have respect. You know, Benjamin Franklin, would you say America got no respect back then? Right, Mister uh, Mister. Oh, sorry. I thought. I uh, yes, we got no respect. I tell you, yeah, no respect. I tell you, Mister Dangerfield. Early American colonies got no respect. No, they got no respect at all. Are you no, kidding it, me? Did you realize how how strong of a connection there was between early American society and you know uh, Roddy Dangerfield? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's something that you probably have a lot of uh, you know uh, sympathies for how the settlers are being treated. Oh, I'm over here listening to Benny Franks being like, "Preach, choir, preach." Let me tell you. Yeah, for those of you who just joining us. This is uh, famous dead people on Radio for Brooklyn, and my guests in the studio today are 20th century American stand-up comedian Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, how you doing? Look at my tie. It's still red. And 18th century polymath and founding father Benjamin Franklin. One must sleep with their eyes open. I... Okay. Um, I do like, I don't know if we talked about it already, but I do like how you shouted a penny saved as a penny heard, like almost as a threat. Like I didn't know that it could have that kind of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to Mr. Dangerfield for a moment. So um, I read that, so you have this um, this autobiography that you wrote, this, these memoirs that you wrote that were published uh, posthumously. Um, and one of the confessions... What does posthumously mean? Uh, don't, don't, you, you don't impress me with your big words over there, Beard. Oh, just, I thought that that was a, a word that everybody knew. You, you know posthumous, uh, yes, right, Mr. Yes, it means after one's ascendance into the afterlife. After one has passed away, Mr. Hey, thanks, Benny Franks. Thanks for being on my side over here. Yeah, you're a real good pal over here. Nice pal. <laughs> So yeah, uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the uh, uh, details that was confessed in these memoirs was that you were a big uh, weed person. Was that you smoked a lot of marijuana uh, throughout your career? Uh, is that is that true? Would you stand by that? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, no, you used, used to smoke a lot of drugs. You can me, it was the sixties, the seventies. You can me, if you weren't doing drugs, then you weren't an American. You know what I mean? But you were so uh, I don't want to say old, but like I imagine. When I know somebody hits it younger in their twenties and thirties, you know, there's like a fast life, and uh, you know, you're 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 traveling all over the place. You know, young women are throwing themselves at you, but you were a married man when you hit forty six years old. You know, and yeah, entertainment probably gives you like a lot of uh, you know uh, you know entertainment and crazy parties and you know crazy women. But you're so old. Are you, are you partying the way that all the younger celebrities were at that point in your life? I mean, come on. I had to go something. You know what I mean? You have to, if you had my wife, you would have to do something. You can, my wife was a terrible cook. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I used to leave floss in the kitchen. The roaches would hang themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had a terrible life. I had to do something to zone out. Because that's, you know I mean? that's how bad the food was that your wife was cooking that the roaches didn't even want to eat it. They you know, most jokes themselves. are better when explained. I'm glad you know that. <laughs> Way to poke a dead frog, Derek. Mm-hmm. Was that also something that you uh, coined? It is. Poke it was in frog. one of my poor Richard Almanacs. Yeah, wonderful. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Coming back to me, because why not? Yeah, so you're doing lots of drugs. It's the 60s. Yeah, a know. lot of drugs. You know what I'm saying? I slow down and speed up. You know what I mean? That's why I did the cocaine. Do a little cocaine back in the day. What did, uh, but what did weed provide for you? Because you don't seem like a weed comic. Like, you know, you were you were very uh, you were very on point. You were very aware. You know, like, uh, like you didn't do the whole Cheech and Chong, like, wandering thoughts or even George Carlin. 
you know, just sort of like spacing out all the time. It seemed like you were right, on sure. point. Oh, yeah, what of was, course. What was the benefit of doing weed for you? Well, I mean, my wife wasn't getting me to come up and down, let me tell you. So I had to do the coke to come up and the weed to come down. <laughs> you know what I mean? So your wife was not helping you with that at all. No, not at all. You kidding me? She wouldn't even touch me. Mm-hmm. How little would she touch you? <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, I swear to fucking God. I'm just an How inquisitive little? man. <laughs> It, yeah, no, I think it's one of your better qualities. I mean, it was tough to touch me when she had two hands on every other guy. You know what I mean? Oh. She liked to get around that That's lady. It. I'm telling you what. Uh, let's get back to you, Mr. Frank. I went to, I, I tell you about the time I went up to the bartender. I'll tell you this. Well, tell us about the time you went up to the bartender. I went to the bartender. I said, surprise me. He showed a picture of me a naked wife. Oh, my goodness. Because what you meant was surprise me with, like, a drink, like, a, like whatever drink you want. And he's like, well. Boy, you know a lot of big words, but you don't get a lot of jokes over there, pal. You're all right, though. You're all right. Let's go uh, back over to Benjamin Franco for just a moment. So one of your famous uh, diplomatic trips during the war uh, was your trip to secure funding from France with Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. You go to France yes. with Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. And I read that John Adams was upset at the trip because Jefferson drank the whole time and you spent most of the trip just going to whorehouses. Mm-hmm. Is there any truth to that? Hey, you're my claim? kind of man over here, Betty Frankie. Okay, all right. You're all right. You know, just because right. it was the 1700s didn't mean we didn't know how to have fun. Didn't mean they had, I mean, you need to party regardless of what era you are living in. Precisely. We're talking Precisely. about oh, yeah, yeah, ancient yeah. civilization, medieval times, the Renaissance. Everybody partied. Precisely. It's the, one, the main thing that I've learned from doing the show. Everybody yes. parties. Life is hard. You've got to take a load off. Mm. Ooh, another uh, aphorism. Yes, that's one of my aphorisms. Mm, want take a load off. Yeah. I said it in the founding hall. In in, in what were were there during the Constitutional mm-hmm. Convention? Oh, really? I said, "Can we take a break? Can we take a load off?" And then uh, John Philip K. Dickerson turned around <laughs> to me and he said, "Yes, indeed." And we all laid in a pile mm-hmm. in our musty revolutionary clothes and took a nap. Uh, <laughs> so you laid on each other to take this nap. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And we just right, pretended well. we didn't smell. <laughs> Was that a common practice back then for 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 people to just sleep on top of each other? Well, we didn't have enough beds for everybody, I so see. one person's leg became a Tempur-Pedic, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Was nobody uh, confused by that turn of phrase when you said? Let's take a load off. A couple people. Because it, it's brand had, new. Nobody knows that phrase It was yet. new, but yeah. a lot of what I was saying at the time was new. Mm-hmm. Like one time I held a barrel in my arms and I said, one most hold a barrel to hold things within the barrel. And everybody looked at me a little strange, but then a few years later, it became common phrase. It became so, and we still say that today, if you want to. We do, we do. Well, one must sure. hold yeah. a barrel if you want to hold, hold things within, within a barrel. barrel. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I use that phrase. I've also heard the phrase, take a load off a bunch of times. Usually it just comes from my scale. Oh, Oh, that's a good one. That's a sharp one, Mr. Oh, you kidding me? I stood on my scale the other day and said, one at a time. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That is classic. Uh, So, yeah. So, Mr. Franklin, you're saying that that what John Adams was saying is true. Jefferson drunk the whole time. You going to whorehouses the whole time. Yes, yes. I loved to swim in the pools of France, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. That is not subtle at all. But you were an elderly gentleman at that point. You're in your 70s. Yes, just because I was 70 doesn't mean I didn't like to get down. But see, I, I, I think that I wouldn't want that if I was... I don't think that I have the same constitution. Like, if I was that old and in mm. France, I probably just want to, like, rest... 
more yeah. than anything. I guess you just enjoy the company of women that much more. I think I'd like to accuse you of ageism. Of ageism. Like yes. old people don't yeah, have yeah, again, You don't have the respect over there. Look at you not getting any respect over there, Benny Franks. Everybody's got a different level everything, of libido. Everything comes out of respect with you. Of oh, course it comes you, back to respect. They don't have the respect at all. I, Imagine I, if you just founded a country, mm-hmm. how on top of the world you'd feel. Mm-hmm. I bet you'd walk around with a 24-7 hot on. <laughs> You're saying that the 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 passion with which you founded the country and the fact that the revolution was going well, it invigorated you despite your advanced age. Yes, I literally founded a country. Mm. I walked around with a heart on for the rest of my life. Well, you must are, have been nice. I've been hard in years, let me tell you. How hard weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> how hard weren't you, Rowdy Dangerfield? That's a good turn of phrase over there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm surprised more jokes don't have that mechanism. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you feel the same way, Mr. Dangerfield? So you're 46 years old when you hit. Hard? No. I haven't felt that in a while. You kidding me? My wife looks at my dick. It shrivels. Uh, yeah. It's you like see... a snail with salt on it. A true French delicacy. Or. Uh, yeah. A... Yeah. Escort goes away. Let or, me tell you. Or a scared turtle. That's one of my other favorite turns of phrase for when we're describing. I'm going to repeat my joke because it was really good. It escort goes, goes away. away. Oh, I had completely missed there that. Yeah. Be fucking gone. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. Now I feel bad. I haven't thought of one. Um, uh, let's. Um... Hey, take your time over there. You know, we got all day on this show. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I hear your criticism. Let me ask you this, Mr. Dangerfield. So you were a household name. You had a long and storied career. In 1995, you were rejected for membership into the Motion Picture Academy. Is that right? That's true, yeah. yeah. You want to know why? Why, yeah. I don't got no respect at all. That's why I don't get the respect. Come on. I was hoping for a more specific answer. Because because we, all right, because we've established you got lots of respect. You you got lots of respect in your life. This is you established advice. that. What's up? Yeah, I yeah, and I, I know you don't agree with me, but I think there's incontrovertible evidence that you got respect in your life. You sure. had an incredible career. I but, did a lot of great films, such as Ladybugs, such as Ladybugs, or um, uh, and, uh who could forget uh, uh, my nine wives? My nine wives. Later sure, on yeah, your yeah, career, yeah, yeah. you inherit nine wives. Yep. Oh yeah, the Caddyshack. Caddyshack movies were classic. You were replaced in the second Caddyshack movie with Jackie Gleason. You're correct. Jackie Mason. Sorry, Jackie. Mason. Jackie Mason. Uh, yeah, was that your choice? Did you not want to go back for the sequel? Or uh... no? Of course, that wasn't my choice. You kidding me? I want to do more movies. You, you want to? You want to know why I didn't get in that movie? Is it because you didn't get any respect? Hey, you because... go. Nah, hey, look at this. An old dog. We throw new tricks. There they you go. Didn't... My dog couldn't be Tony Tricks, so I'll tell you that. What was wrong with your dog? Oh my God, my dog. I tell you, the only action I ever got was when my dog humped my leg. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it didn't respect you. I tell you what. I tell you what. I looked up my family tree. Two dogs were using it. So One time, I taught a 12-year-old schnauzer how to roll over. Did you? Turns out it was dead. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, Mr. Dangerfield, so they never gave you a specific reason why they wouldn't let you into the Motion Picture Academy. No, they never did. It was very frustrating yeah. to me as well. I really felt like I had done a, a story career. I really, say. Yeah, and I, I got to say, if you were to give any evidence that you got no respect, this is probably the one thing that is evidence that you got no respect. Clearly that no they respect. Just, they just said, we're not going to let you in, didn't give you a reason. Yeah. yeah. That's it. You know, this is the one. This the is only the- reason they didn't let me in there is because it was on brand for me. Because it was, oh, interesting. Like, almost like a marketing ploy, maybe. Yeah, sure. But then I died. They were doing <laughs> they were doing you a favor. Inside. I died inside. You know uh, what I mean? Unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. Um, uh, and uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, I'm a fan. You know, Thank you. I read one of your biographies. 
Uh, one of my favorite pieces that you wrote was called Advice to a Friend on Choosing a Mistress. Do you remember mm. this essay? Uh, how could I forget? So, I wrote it. So this was 13 points of, of why, if you're going to have an affair, you should have an affair with an old woman instead of a young woman. Yeah. Take my wife, please. <laughs> <laughs> classic, oh. classic Dangerfield. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, if you remember any of the points from that essay, like why it was better to have uh, an affair with an old woman versus mm -hmm. a young woman, and why you thought it was necessary to put this essay out into the world. Yes, yes. Well, the reason I thought it was necessary to put this essay out into the world was that if you were planning on being an uh, adulterer and you were committing yourself to the task, then you might as well be good at it. Okay. And one of my favorite points is that old ladies can keep a secret. The old ladies can keep a secret. Yes, because hmm. let's be honest, some of these women, they're very excited to be with a young buck like me. Oh, okay. So you were Preaching like... the choir over here, let you, me tell you. You're talking about cougars. That's what we talk oh, about now. yes. These say. women are looking for the youngest and strongest American revolutionaries to make love to them. Interesting. Was that a big thing back then? Like, if, if, if women knew that you were in the revolution, would they be, like, a little bit more into you? Like, a bad boy sort of a thing? Think about when the youngest, hottest rock star was in their prime. Okay. That's what it was like to be a revolutionary. Interesting. Did men ever lie about it? Were they ever like go to bars and be like, be like, hey, I can't, uh, I can't say too much about this, but uh, about the revolution. But, uh, but I'm in the. Re they would say to girls like, I'm in the revolution, you know, and lie about it just so, just so they could like get them to come back to their uh, to their homes. Oh, and like get would them men lie? Yeah, would be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they most Try to definitely them to did. be unvirtuous, mm -hmm. you know, if you know what I mean. They were trying to get the women to come home to give them a good old fashioned Hancock. <laughs> uh, get it? Oh, like John Hancock. Like John Hancock. Oh wow! I'm wondering if there's other uh, other um, uh, politicians from that era that you could, uh, uh, you know, that you could make into any windows like that. Like, um, you know, let's see here. Uh, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, Maybe he could have. Hey, uh, take your time over there. We got all day. You pal. know what? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not the, mo the one of those gifted one-liners or, or one of the most uh, uh, esteemed founding fathers. You know, but I'm trying my best over here. I'm being put on the spot. Oh boy, getting the business over here from Dangerfield and Franklin. All right, fine. Well, one last question. Uh, of all the things that you did in your career, uh, Mr. Dangerfield, did you? Was there anything that you that you that you held higher than everything else? Is there one thing that you wish that you were remembered for over anything else? I mean, yeah, sure. It would have been getting respect, but that never happened. You know what I mean? Again, I really think that you did. I, anyway, listen, all right. We all have our theories. <laughs> okay. The thing well, that I hold the highest in my life, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, probably, I, mean, I love my kids. You know, I love my, even though they're both dumb, I love my kids to daily. You know how what I'm dumb were they? My kids were so dumb one time they tried to use a plunger in the toilet and they sat on it and said it was uncomfortable. Oh my gosh! <laughs> anyway, not your, listen. not your best work. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That is uh, unfortunately all the time that we have for this week's episode of Famous Dead People. I'd like to thank my guests uh, Benjamin Franklin and Rodney Dangerfield for joining me in the studio today. I always end with one final question. I know it's a little weird, but I'd like to ask my guests if they have any uh, Twitter accounts that they like or comedy shows that they want to tell people to go see. Um, uh, Mr. Dangerfield, anything 
you wanted to uh, tell people on the air about? Oh, sure, sure. It's a great, uh, great up and coming group. It's called North Coast. North Coast. They perform every Saturday night in the the People's Improv Theater in New York City. Go check out. North they do hip hop improv, and they're also doing a run at the Caveat Theater as well. Oh, okay. And uh, anything you want to tell people about, Mr. Franklin? Same plug. Okay. But in addition to that, on March 16th, that group has their ninth anniversary show at Littlefield. Ooh, Littlefield North Coast ninth anniversary show. Uh, you definitely yeah, North check Coast it. NYC on all social media is what I've been told. There you go. Uh, you can also check out all my stuff at jarrettbarenstein.com. Uh, rate and review the podcast, Famous Dead People. All the old episodes are on there, and they're great. Uh, check out my show, The Fine 39, on March 25th at 9 p.m. at the Magnet Theater. It's going to be a barn burner, lots of sketch and uh, stand-up. It's going to be really fun. If you have any questions you'd like to ask your favorite dead person, please email that to us at famousdeadpeople at radiofrebrooklyn.org. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.